Our scripture this morning is from uh, Luke uh, chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 14. You'll find it on page 1596. Luke chapter 4, begin reading at verse 14. And as we uh, prepare to hear God's word, let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may see your ways. Fill us with your light. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to, to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, No prophets accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. A pastor was uh, unexpectedly called away by an emergency, so he had to make plans for preaching on Sunday, so he asked his associate to preach. The pastor's wife didn't go along, so when the pastor returned, he asked her how Sunday went, wondered what she thought of the associate's sermon. Horrible, she said. It was the worst I've ever heard. There was nothing to it, didn't make sense, it was unorganized, I was entirely disappointed. Understandably, the pastor was quite concerned, so he asked his associate how Sunday went. Absolutely wonderful the associate reported. I didn't have time to prepare a new sermon of my own on such short notice, so I just went to your computer and pulled up one of your old ones. <laughs> well, one day in Nazareth, Jesus was a guest preacher. And he pulled up an old one. Took it off from a sermon by the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news. Jesus preached God's favor, preached the shortest one-sentence sermon ever, but it was pure gospel. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. People loved the sermon. Luke says all spoke well of him. 
It wasn't just the length that attracted the people. Listen to what he says. He speaks of the coming salvation of God. He lets the people know the future is today. Tomorrow is now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What he's talking about is jubilee. The Isaiah 61 passage recalls one of the greatest teachings in Isaiah in Israel's faith life. Here at the start of his ministry, Jesus identifies with the servant of the Lord who would bring God's jubilee. Jubilee was a, a time of release for people from their debts. Jubilee was a time to let the land rest. Jubilee remembered that God had released Israel from Egypt. The message of forgiveness and grace, the year of the Lord's favor, once delivered to Israel through Isaiah, now came to her through Jesus with this one Nazareth Sabbath. Today, this scripture is fulfilled, says Jesus. Not someday, now. Now is the time to proclaim the Lord's favor. God's salvation is here. The Messiah everyone was waiting for has come. Now is the time of forgiveness. Now is the time to write paid in full. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The good news of Jesus is that God has come with salvation. That God arrives with healing grace, not judgment. Salvation for those who don't have clothes on their backs or food on their table. Blessing for the poor, the hungry, those who weep, for all who are excluded and insulted and rejected. Salvation, not just in economic hardship or physical woes. The good news is that even the impoverished heart of a self-satisfied person can be healed. In the middle of our world of violence, pain, and justice, God is here. Terror happens, but God is here. Bad news may flood our screens, but God is here. Jesus preached good news. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Those imprisoned in sin and selfishness can find a reason to live in Jesus. Those blinded by unbelief, plagued by demons, discover release in Jesus. To be released is to find liberty from whatever grabs our lives and holds us prisoner. Job, debt, family, sickness, addiction. Jesus brings freedom to those who are under any power that isn't Jesus. What an amazing message. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. Today, the Lord's favor has come. Today is a day of God's presence in the world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus brought God's salvation right into his hometown at Nazareth. Not someday. Today. And their hopes ran high. I mean, everybody loves a superstar. Nazareth's very own superstar was in her backyard. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Joseph's son has made something of himself. The hometown kid made good. What a future they were going to have. He would put Nazareth on the map. 
Into their cloudy world comes a cheering word. Jesus puts a gleam in the eyes of the crowd. Every generation firmly believed in the Messiah, that the Messiah would come, that the Messiah was near. Every good Jew believed the Messiah would come in their time. Philip Yancey once told about a Messiah sighting in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, New York in 1983. Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, 91 years old, was believed to be the Messiah. Schneerson was a man of irresistible personal charisma, immense learning, exceptional leadership skills, profound piety. Many of the 20,000 Lubavitcher Hasidic Jews thought Schneerson was the Messiah. And word spread that Schneerson was going to make a public appearance. The street was lined with Lubavitchers in black coats and curly sideburns, making their way to the synagogue where the rabbi prayed. The main hall was jammed elbow to elbow. Some climbed pillars to make even more room. As Yancey reported, the hall was filled with anticipation, the kind of frenzy you would expect at Super Bowls, not religious services. And when he appeared, the crowd roared. Long live our master, our teacher, our rabbi, king, messiah, forever and ever. The volume built as the voices in unison sang over and over. Long live our master, our messiah. Spirits ran high in Nazareth. Jesus captured their hopes. Nazareth was certain that he would bring the wonder of God's future. Jesus' Nazareth appearance was the culmination of his years of preparation. Baptized, confirmed in his vocation, tested in the wilderness. The years of prayer, thought, study of scripture that brought him here to his hometown. They knew him. He knew them. And his preaching was inspired. The Spirit of the Lord was on him as he announced the year of the Lord's favor. The people of Nazareth were stirred. Deliverance was close enough to touch the hem of its garment. The wait is over. Redemption has come. Lame people raised their crutches. Old men wept. Children and parents cheered. Hallelujah! Amen! They'd been crushed by Roman rule. Disheartening taxes had kept them down. All the faithful synagogue-going Jews of Nazareth had had enough. They felt as oppressed as the great, great ancestors of theirs in the land of Egypt. And along comes Jesus, hometown boy, Mary and Joseph's boy, back in home, in his hometown to announce a new thing. You could read the headlines. Hometown boy makes good. He made it so easy to believe. His words so gracious. This electric shockwave passing along through the crowd. God's long-awaited hero finally come. Ready to get rid of the oppressors. Lift the heel off their backs. Release the clamped claws of the Roman eagle. This is the day. This is the time. Ring the liberty bell. Blast the trumpets. Shout amen. Hopes ran high for the Lord's favor to descend on them. But this crowd was fickle. At first they were blind to Jesus' agenda. But when they discovered the truth, they became furious with Jesus. Tried to drive him out of town. Why? 
I mean, what did Jesus say that created such a turnaround? Maybe because he knew their hearts, knew their desire. Surely you'll quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. See, Jesus brings out the unspoken motivation of the people. The people wanted Jesus to do in Nazareth what he'd been doing elsewhere, bring his miracles to his hometown. Maybe Jesus sensed this crowd had no desire to follow him. Their gladness then was like a taunt. You could almost hear them. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. In Jesus' mind, the crowd seemed no different than the tempting devil he had faced in the wilderness. Do a few magic tricks just for the sake of it. As one person notes, their challenge isn't far off from the one that Jesus would later hear when he was on the cross. He saved others, but he can't save himself. See, Jesus didn't come just for those in Nazareth. The crowd thought that when the Messiah came, he'd get rid of all the Gentiles. One of us pushing out all of them. They thought the blessing was only for them. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. See, the folks in Nazareth were focused on their needs, their situation. If God's kingdom was coming, they wanted it for their neighborhood. They longed for God to condemn the wicked nations, pour out his wrath to destroy them. See, they figured they were the poor who needed good news. I mean, hadn't they been overtaxed by Rome? They were captives. I mean, conquering armies regularly made rest stops in Israel. They were the oppressed, unordered about by pagan Roman soldiers, life made miserable by corrupt officials. They had suffered long enough. There was time for a messianic blessing to fall their way. But Jesus is not their superstar miracle worker. He's not just one of us. He's a prophet. He made it real clear. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. That's when the people knew what they were in for. See, prophets aren't for hire. Prophets called God's people to account. Prophets confront God's people with their faithlessness, their lack of justice and mercy. As one writer put it, Jesus stood before the people of Nazareth, not as the hometown boy who had returned to shower his kinsmen and friends with favors, but as a prophet of God come to call them to be servants, to be light to the world. Salvation to the world. That's what God Nazareth all ticked off. Because Jesus didn't come for just their little community. He cared about the world. Listen to his sermon. Remember the story of Elijah? I mean, there were plenty of poor, hungry women in Israel, but God chose to help a foreigner. You know that story. But the people were silent. Or what about the story of Elisha? You remember how he healed that army officer, that Syrian guy, Naaman? Lots of poor, deserving lepers in Israel in those days. And what does God do? He goes off and he heals some terrorist leader. 
You could cut the stony silence with a knife. The Messiah's deliverance reaches beyond the bounds of the so-called chosen. It's all in the Bible. Read it. We can't be blind to what God's up to. You remember pagan Nineveh? They repented when Jonah preached. The queen of Sheba, she traveled halfway across the world to hear Solomon's wisdom. Don't we know this yet? God so loved the world. Not just Nazareth. Not just Ripon. Not just the people of Emmanuel CRC. Here's the problem. Jesus speaks grace. God's grace. God's grace for everybody. And that day in Nazareth, the message seemed all wrong. It was supposed to be God's grace for Israel and fierce judgment for everybody else. It was supposed to be God's grace for us and condemnation for them. Whoever your them might be, undocumented refugees or wall-building citizens, pro-choice or pro-life, liberal spouting or Trump-loving, even patriot fans, thems. See, the truth that Jesus brings is this. God's grace can, and in fact it probably will, fall in places we never ever imagined. Good news isn't a special reserve for a few select people. The crowd in Nazareth was fickle. They wanted to kill him because his good news was outside their comfort zone. They wanted to kill him because he was bringing God's good news to sinners. He was one of us extending the Lord's favor to all of the thems of the world. There's no stopping Jesus. He just went on his way. Much as they wanted to get rid of him, it wasn't that easy. They took him to the top of the hill to throw him off the cliff, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. He went on his way. And if we want the grace that he's offering, we'll have to follow him. If we want good news, we'll have to follow where he goes Of course, the good news is only good news if we can, first of all, admit our failure. There's no good news if we think we've got it made. The good news is for the poor. It's release for the captives. Good news is sight for the blind. Here's the deal. God offers words of comfort to those who experience the discomforts of life. It's not for those who act like they have life altogether. We do that. We spend time and energy looking better, getting fitter, appearing younger. And none of that's a highway to God. The only way that Jesus' message of good news will mean something to us if it first of all strikes us as bad news. I'm not who I want to be. Or who I can be. Or who I should be. And neither are you. See, the bad news is we can't be who we want to be. And who we need to be. Jesus goes on his way, bringing a good news to those in need. And those who don't see their need or admit their need will never receive his good news. But for those who admit, for those who confess their need, 
For those of us who can be honest about our failures and fears and longings, there's good news. Jesus went on his way. He kept on his way. Jesus went on his way to bring good news. The very next story that Luke tells is about a demon-possessed man being healed. The demonic forces that wanted to throw Jesus down are overcome. Jesus went on his way to bring good news. He brought good news to the poor, proclaimed release to the captives, gave sight to the blind, set the oppressed free. He went on his way healing the sick, embracing the outsider, eating with sinners. Jesus makes no effort to satisfy the hometown crowd. He just goes on his way. He even goes on his way to Jerusalem. He goes before another crowd. He goes up another hill. Jesus Jesus walks right through the crowd and goes on his way. He goes all the way to the cross. And there we see it. This is the good news. That we're a disobedient lot of sinners, preoccupied with our own self-righteousness and our hometown attitudes. But it's for that very reason that Jesus goes on his way all the way to the cross. And Jesus on the cross shows us the stretch of God's grace. Maybe that grace makes us uncomfortable. We try to keep our distance. Some even try to run away. We resist. And it makes sense. I mean, the good news of Jesus confronts us, convicts us, and threatens us all that has been true about us. If we're honest, we're in that Nazareth crowd. We're those hometown folks for whom Jesus' message hits a bit too close to home. And the truth is, we look at our lives and we see how we use our time and treat our kids and spend our money And we note the distance between our faith and work. And we see our lack of faith in our plans and in our calendars. But the gospel isn't something that just resides in our heads. Faith wants to take up residence in our hearts and impact our lives. Then, And only then will we see ourselves in that Nazareth crowd desperately in need of the good news of Christ. Then, and only then will we, with Christ followers everywhere, stop pointing a finger of blame at the Almighty and put ourselves at the mercy of God's grace. Then, and only then, will we be glad that Jesus went on His way. Not just for our sake, for the sake of the world. We come to this table humbly ready to receive the good news of God's grace. Wherever we are, whoever we are, God's grace in Christ offered to us. Jesus came to enlighten the nations, so we come to this table with thanksgiving, remembering that Jesus went on his way to bring us life as it was meant to be.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. With joy we praise you, gracious God. For you created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who by his life, death, and resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels and the whole creation to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We give thanks to God the Father that our Savior Jesus Christ, before his suffering, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. At his last supper, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper. And he gave thanks and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let's pray together. Lord our God, send Your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all Your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. In the name of our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen.